the 1930s was a time where the idea of a vampire was starting to become more mainstream in movies and media. Dracula had just been released to audiences, and Peter Curtin, otherwise known as the Vampire of Dusseldorf, a serial killer with an obsession with blood, had just been executed in July of 1931. So, in 1932, when a 32-year-old sex worker named Lily Lindstrom is found beaten and drained of all of her blood, the Stockholm media have a field day. Was Lily's killer really a vampire who roamed the Swedish streets? Or did Lily invite the wrong man in? What really happened to Lily Lundstrom? Hi, I'm your host, Missy, and I'm about to take you on a wild ride. Stories with plot twists, shocking endings, and unbelievable truths. Trust me when I tell you that this story is nuts. Elizabeth Larson was born on August 29, 1900. The oldest of ten children, she was known to be bubbly and happy. In Lily's later teens, she would marry a merchant, and her name would change to Lily Lindstrom. Unfortunately, Lily's marriage would not last, and since she did not have any children with her now ex-husband, she was able to travel freely, and she decided to move to the bigger town of Stockholm at 22 years old. She had hoped for a better life and a brand new start, But by the time that she was 32, people around Stockholm were beginning to struggle, and even those with jobs were having a hard time staying afloat due to the economy. Lily would move into an apartment complex in the Atlas neighborhood, a neighborhood that had become known for all of its seedy activity and crime. To make ends meet, Lily became a sex worker, and though she was cautious with the money she would make, she would sometimes splurge on things like a radio or a telephone which most people around her did not have. The phone was, in fact, the way that Lily did business. Her clients would call her flat to set up appointments, giving her the label of a call girl. Lily also tried to be cautious with her clients. She would only allow her clients to have her phone number, not just random people. And if it was somebody she hadn't worked with before, she would make sure to take precautions before allowing them into her flat such as entering your home first before they did. April 30th, 1932, otherwise known as Wapurgis Eve, Lily and her downstairs neighbor Mimi are making plans for later in the evening. Wapurgis Eve was a holiday celebrated between April 30th and May 1st in Escovia, Finland, Katava, Sweden, the Czech Republic, Slovenia, and Germany. It was said to be the day where witches brode on brooms or goats to sacrifice sites and made mischief in the devil's company. However, that was the pre-Christian belief. Later on, it was celebrated by lighting bonfires to ward off such witches and evil spirits. The women had planned on listening to a radio show that evening around 9 p.m., and then going out to party and watch the bonfires. Mimi was visiting Lily's flat at 6.30 p.m., excitedly talking about what the two would do and even wear that evening, when Lily's telephone would ring. 
A strange man was on the other end, asking if the woman who answered was Lily Lundstrom. Lily seemed to be confused by how the man had gotten her number, since she did not just give it out to anyone, and she stated on the call that she did not know him. Mimi, who sat in the same room as Lily, overheard the conversation, and would later state that the man had asked Lily if she was able to meet, and that he was close, and he could come right up. Mimi would leave, and Lily would prepare for her unknown caller. Around 7 p.m., Lily would knock on Mimi's door to ask for a condom, and her friend would give her one. It wouldn't be long after that, though, that Lily would return once again to ask for a condom, this time naked underneath her coat. It wasn't strange that Lily had gone to ask for condoms. It was a way that the women would check on each other to make sure things were all right. But Mimi did note it was a bit strange that Lily had only been wearing the coat. She brushed it off, and this time handed Lily a few. By 9.30 p.m., Mimi, who was running late for the radio program, would knock on Lily's door to no answer. Though the two women had made plans, she thought maybe Lily had already left for the bonfire with her client, so she went to the party, hoping to see Lily there. However, Mimi did not see her friend there, and she wouldn't see her friend for the next few days. Her concerns were increasingly growing, and so were those of her landlords, who Lily was also friends with. When Lily still did not answer her door by May 4, 1932, police busted Lily Lindstrom's door down in an attempt to find the missing woman. Police walked into an extremely tidy apartment in which nothing seemed out of place. Nothing until they discovered the naked body of Lily Lindstrom on a daybed in the living room. Lily was found on a maid bed, dried blood on the back of her head and three cushions stacked on top of her back. She had been laying on her left side with her head resting on her left arm. Her entire right side had been crushed all the way from her temple to her neck. The three blows, which were more than likely struck from behind, had killed her almost instantly. Lily Lundstrom also had more than likely been killed during sex. A condom still left between her legs. It was determined that she had been dead for around two to three days before she had been found. There was saliva on Lily's neck and body and she had almost entirely been drained of blood, though no puncture wounds were ever found in her body. The apartment was impeccably clean. There was no sign of a struggle, and the only thing out of place was a bloody towel in the kitchen. Nothing was found to be missing from the apartment, so the motive was not a robbery, since all of Lily's money and belongings were still there, and police quickly assumed that the killer had brought the murder weapon with him to the home. Fingerprints and semen were left at the scene as well, but detectives could not determine if the fingerprints were from the suspect or any of Lily's other clients. Also, since the murder occurred in the 1930s, DNA testing was not available yet, so tests could not be run on the semen. Although there were some suspects in this case, most of them had never been identified due to Lily's profession. Some of the men had, quote, interesting relationships with Lily, Another suspect was a woman's husband who apparently had blood on his clothes the night of the murder. The morning after the strange man visited Lily's apartment, a neighbor's apartment had been broken into around 5 a.m. The man attempted to rob the neighbor, but when she woke, he fled the home. Police did not feel like this man had anything to do with Lily Lundstrom's murder, however, since the man was trying to rob the neighbor and Lily had plenty of money. He could have stole from her apartment if he had been her killer. Police narrowed the suspects down to nine of Lily's normal clients. But even this didn't make much sense, since it was apparent that Lily did not know the man who called her on the evening she was brutally murdered. 
Six weeks after the murder of Lily Lundstrom, a gravy ladle was found on the street outside of her apartment. The ladle had dried blood on it, and although it had been far too light to be the actual murder weapon, speculation via the Stockholm media quickly pointed to the ladle as being the way the murderer had drained Lily's blood. Whether he used the ladle to help him drink the blood or to remove the blood and transfer out of the apartment and into containers is not quite known. Soon the idea that Lily Lundstrom was murdered by a vampire spread and her murderer was now dubbed the Atlas Vampire. One of the major things about this story is that Lily was completely drained of blood. However, there is no actual evidence to support this. And as the years have gone on, the story gets a bit more and more embellished. One of the other interesting things is that some reports had said that the gravy ladle was in the sink, while others had claimed it was found on the street. And either way, if you remember, even if it was blood on the ladle, this was before DNA testing was even a thing, so that the ladle couldn't even be tested to prove if it had, in fact, been blood. Theories on who the murderer of Lily Lundstrom ranges from maybe a cop who knew how to clean up a crime scene, or a drifter who wasn't in Stockholm long, to a serial killer who drains his victim's blood, though there weren't any other cases that resembled that of Lily Lundstrom's in the press after her murder. Or maybe it was a true vampire, though that is the least likely. Either way, whatever happened to Lily Lundstrom is still a mystery, and though we do have technology today, most of the items collected at the scene are far too degraded and compromised to even get an actual answer to who her murderer was. Evidence from the scene, as well as saliva from Lily's neck and a lock of her brown hair, can still be found on display at the Stockholm Police Museum. As always, I want to hear your thoughts on this case. If you haven't joined our Facebook group, it is facebook.com backslash the story is nuts podcast. And I'm always interested in hearing what you have to say. If you have a story suggestion for the show, it is thisstoryisnuts at gmail.com. I'd like to hear either your story suggestions or personal stories that come right from you. That's going to do it for today's show. I appreciate you guys listening and make sure you're sharing this podcast with your true crime loving friends. A new episode drops every single Wednesday at midnight. So come back all new episode next week at midnight. Until then. Stay nutty, my friends.
This Story's Nuts was written and produced by Missy Reese with music by Logan Reese off of Groovepad. <laughs>